Okay, <clears throat> we are in uh, Luke, Luke chapter uh, 5, <clears throat> and we're going to be reading from, from verse 33. Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 33. And remember, we are again following the chronological life of Jesus using Luke as the, as, as the, the order setter. Uh, but then we, we fill in from the other similar passages throughout the other Gospels. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Then they said to him, why do, the, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new one makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, <clears throat> or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. <clears throat> so, there's this passage where, where we find that, that the disciples of, of John, it says, were fa- fast often, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But they say to him, but your disciples, Jesus, don't fast. And let's look at the, the, the other Gospels and see what they say about the same passage. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and they said to him, Why do the, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? <clears throat> and, and then again in, uh, in Matthew chapter 9, Verse 14, the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So, when a person is fasting, I'll just tell you from experience, when a person is fasting, they want everybody around them to fast also. You will find that when somebody is fasting, they can really get excited about this, this work of fasting and they feel that other people should be going through this, this difficult time and this pain as well. So they want other people around them to fast. And that's why Jesus had spoken in the book of Matthew, when you fast, you wash your face and you, you don't let other people know about your fasting. So your fasting shouldn't be public. You should fast. Jesus, in fact, talked, when he, when he spoke to the disciples, he talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, he said um, when you fast, that's Matthew 6.17, when you fast. So the, 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 there was a presupposition there that people fast, and that is to get close to God. And if you've never experienced fasting, you ought to try it sometime, where you just drink water for a day. Just try it for a day and see what happens. And, and ask God, just, just every time your stomach growls and you get hungry, just, just pray to God, and you'll get headaches and all sorts of things. And I will tell you personally, I don't really like to fast. Now, I fast, and I will do it sometimes for a period of four or five or six days, but it's not something I look forward to. 
what I really look forward to is getting done with the fast, not so much so that I can start to eat, but I know that after that time I've drawn really close to God. But it's not something that I announce. And when John, the disciples of John, now remember, John is now in prison, we had seen that, and the disciples of the Pharisees. The Pharisees also fasted. So now you have two really disparate groups coming together and saying, we're going through this, how come your disciples don't do it as well? And so you see the same sort of attitude today when people are fasting. Sometimes you can find a pastor who all of a sudden starts to appreciate this, 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 uh, the work of fasting, and then he can start pushing this very, very hard to his fellowship. And they may not all be there where he is, but all of a sudden this is a new, new thing to him and he wants to push it very hard. Uh, um, but, so you see this same sort of pattern, and it, and it says that, that you, you can read that the Pharisees actually fasted every Monday and every Thursday, so they fasted twice a week. So this, this was uh, uh, actually a fairly common thing for them. Um, so so if, you, if you look in, also in Luke chapter 18, remember in Luke chapter 18, that's that, that parable that Jesus told them, that story about a Pharisee who stood in a temple trying to justify himself. He said, thank you, I'm not like others. I fast twice a week, not like that publican over there, not like that tax gatherer. Thank you that I am not a sinner like other people. And so he justified himself through his work of fasting. Now, not that fasting is wrong, but it's something that it's to be held quiet about. But they come to him asking him about this. And Jesus, rather than saying, oh, yeah, it's a great thing that you're doing. He said, look, my disciples, this is not the time for them to fast. The bridegroom is with them. What if, uh, uh, Joe, at your wedding, if, if all, all your bridegrooms were just fasting at the wedding. It would kind of bother you. you. You know, you'd want them to enjoy this time with you, not to be there kind of miserable with headaches and, and not eating any of the food that you bought. And so he's saying this is an important time for them just to, just to enjoy it. He says, there will come a time when I will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So again, Jesus prophesied that they will fast. But now was not the time. But this idea of the Pharisees that John the Baptist's disciples also followed of Monday and Thursday fasting was never something that was prescribed in the Scriptures. This was for them one of the traditions the Pharisees had put on. So we've discussed this before, but let me, let me build this. So you had the 613 commandments in the Old Testament to Moses. Around each one of those, after they had been taken into Babylon because of disobedience, when they came back, they started to build rules around each one of those commandments, saying, okay, here's a commandment. We don't want to violate it again and end up being taken into captivity. So how can we keep from violating it? What we'll do is we'll build a fence around that. So that fence put other human-made laws around every one of the commandments of Moses. Around the Sabbath, for example, there were over 1,500, and there exist today over 1,500 rules just around the Sabbath day for Jews today, as there were then. They took, the, the, the Jews will often speak of something called the oral law, the written law like what we have, and then they'll say the oral law. The oral law were things that Moses said, but he never wrote down, and it was passed down from Moses. 
to the prophets. It was passed down through the prophets to the scribes. And here we are, we have all these rules. These have now all been culminated in, excuse me, in the Mishnah. Could somebody get me a cup of water, please? In the Mishnah. These have been culminated. And you can, you can actually get the Mishnah and it's huge volumes. There are, there are just huge volumes of, of, of works that you can get that are just full of rules and regulations. These are human constructs. They will say that these have been passed down from Moses. There's no record of that. And in fact, these become sacrosanct. You know, many people feel that Jesus was, was, um, Je- Jesus was not received by the Pharisees because he did not overthrow Rome. There is no such word in the Bible that says anything about that. Nothing in the Bible talks about a problem with his not overthrowing Rome. In fact, had they followed him, he would have freed them from Rome. The problem came, and we will see it over and over again, it was obedience to these man-made rules. Jesus obeyed none of them. He obeyed the 613 commandments that Moses had put down. That's it. He obeyed none of these human-made rules. This is constantly the problem. This is what they're approaching him with. We fast Monday. We fast Thursdays. We fast twice a week. This is the pattern we have. This is one of the rules that we have. This is one of the rules that's now, in that generation, had not yet been written down. In our generation, about 300 years after Jesus, they started to write all these things down. The scribes had all of these memorized. And, and there are, there's something the size of the Encyclopedia Britannica which are the Jewish rules now. Very hard to live as an Orthodox Jew. Very hard. Well, there are all these regulations, and Jesus refused to live by them because Jesus said this. He said, the rules of man have made the word of God of no effect. The rules of man have made the word of God of no effect. In other words, you can have so many rules that you box people in with, they can't even enjoy God. He says, I'm not going to buy into this. And we will see this pattern again and again. This is what frustrates the Pharisees. His unwillingness to follow by their rules. Because they feel that if he were really a religious and a righteous man, he would come behind these same sort of uh, of rules that they say was the oral law, which they made equivalent to the written law. And And sometimes, and we'll see this, they even made it higher than the written law. And, and, uh, uh, so this, this was the issue. This was the issue. And it had even been in, in John's disciples, this same issue. And he says, look, the days will come. But I've got something new here. If you take new wine and you put it into old wineskins, the wineskins are going to burst. So in the fermentation process, CO2 is produced. There's also osmotic pressure that can be produced that can break these things. So you have to have something that's going to stretch a lot. Uh, he says, if you, take, if you take a fresh piece of garment and you put it on, on an, old, uh, and an old garment and you sew the two together, when that fresh one when, uh, uh, shrinks, it's going to pull away. And so he says, there's something new here. I'm doing something new. Now, why do I want to underscore, what is the, what, what's the relevance for us today? The relevance for us today is that <clears throat> in Christianity, we have put rules around many things that are not at all scriptural. We've built rules. <clears throat> For example, it used to be you could not play cards. Now I know Christians today can play, play cards. But 30 years ago, Christians were not allowed to play cards. And the view was this. 
playing cards, there's no, nothing written specifically in the Scripture about how bad it is to play cards. But the Scriptures say that we should free ourselves from the appearance of evil. And because bad people play cards, we shouldn't play cards. The same with dice. So it used to be in Christian universities 30 years ago, you would have a Monopoly game, say in a Christian university in the student center. You go and you open up that Monopoly game, well, how do you play Monopoly without dice? Well, what they would do is they would have a spinner. And you would spin twice, and that's how you would proceed. Because gamblers use dice, you wanted to stay free from the appearance of evil, so you didn't use dice. Anyway, this was quite common. You didn't go bowling either, because that was called playing pins. You didn't go bowling. And so there were these rules, and you think, okay, well, we're all done with these rules. No, there are still many rules. I'll give you another one. So there's this feeling like uh, uh, Sunday is the Sabbath day. Sunday has never been the Sabbath day. In the Scriptures, it always referred to Sunday as this, the first day of the week. That's the way Sunday is referred to. Saturday, Friday from sundown to Saturday sundown was the Sabbath. Always has been, always will be. There are certain groups that say that as Christians we ought to worship on Saturdays. That is the day we ought to congregate and worship. There is nothing, nothing in the Old Testament, nothing in the New Testament that says that you were to congregate on the Sabbath day to worship. Nothing. Did you know that? If you were in Jerusalem, you might want to go up to the temple, but you were basically supposed to stay home and not walk very far. So if you were three days' journey in the Galilee, or four days' journey in the Galilee, you couldn't get down to the temple to worship. You just stay home. You, you rested on the Sabbath day. There was a commandment to rest. We are commanded in Scripture, in Hebrews, so our commandments come through the epistles. In Hebrews 10.25, it says that we should not neglect the fellowship of the saints, but we should gather together. This is what it says. We are, we are told to gather together. We are to gather together regularly for worship, for teaching. We're supposed to do this. It doesn't prescribe the day of the week. You'll say, well, we've been told the Lord's Day. You will not find Lord's Day in the New Testament, except in the book of Revelation, where, where, uh, um, where John said, I was praying on the Lord's Day. We don't know what day was the Lord's Day. He didn't say that was the first day of the week. We don't know. Go ahead, look in your Bible for Lord's Day. You won't find it. Except there, that's when he was praying. The implication doesn't mean that Sunday is the day that you pray. He could have been praying on any day. But we have chosen to gather. So there is legalism that comes even in the church. Let me show you in the Scriptures the problems of legalism that they were addressing, and then we'll move it into our day and see how this might apply. So, for example, if you look into Romans chapter 14, look into Romans chapter 14, and something that they were dealing with was food sacrificed to idols. Now, we don't deal with this problem today. This was something that was common to that day because when meat was offered up, often meat was offered up to idols and then sold in the marketplace. Some people said, you can't eat that meat because it's been offered up to an idol. And Paul's coming, he says, you can eat the meat, just don't ask. I mean, it's it's kind of irrelevant. There really is only one God, don't worry about it. And other people said, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You, you, you shouldn't eat, just, just eat vegetables only. So he's addressing this in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So look what he does. He right away says, there are people that are weak in faith. Well, what's, what's weak in faith? One person has faith that he may 
eat all things. But one who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. We're reading in Romans chapter 14, verse 3 now. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God, and he who does not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died to live again, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. So, he talks about two different classes of people. Some say you can eat anything. Some say eat vegetables only. That way, you never worry about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Usually we think that the person who restricts themselves with lots of things, oh, I don't touch that, I don't go there, they're really strong in their faith. The Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says the one who restricts himself is actually the weaker one. He says the one who does not eat meat is the weaker one. Okay, for him that's a fine conviction. Leave him alone, let him do that. What becomes legalism is when I take my practice, which is non-scriptural, and put it upon you. That's where there's a problem. So in other words, if I don't want to play with dice, I don't play with dice, but I'm not to put that upon you. I'll give you an example. I don't drink alcohol. Right? So I don't drink alcohol. Now once in a while, if there's some Jewish friend of mine that comes and has brought this bottle from Israel, which happened recently, and brought it to our Friday night meal, and you know, he says, I brought this all the way from Israel to, to share this with you on Shabbat. So, you know, I poured some in a glass and I had a few sips. <gasps> so anyway, but I have chosen not to drink. In general, I don't drink. That is a personal choice. You are free to drink. The Bible says that we shouldn't be drunk. But it never says that you can't drink. Now, many Christians will say the Bible says you can't drink. Well, Jesus changed water into wine. They'll say, no, Jesus changed water into the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice. It doesn't say that. The word that's used in Greek is the word that says wine. There's another word for grape juice that wasn't, <clears throat> that wasn't used. So what we will do is we will do very much like the Pharisees. <clears throat> when we have an opinion on something, we will go so far as to change Scripture <clears throat> and say the fruit of the vine. We will go so far as to change Scripture to get our, our, our views across. Do you see what I mean? There are things that we can restrict ourselves from. I have a very disciplined life. Gym tour, I mean, most people look at my life, they say, you you know, how do you do? You get to the gym three days a week, you're in there for two hours at a time, and you do this. Yes, I do this, but that has nothing to do with my telling you to do this. You can go to the gym, you don't have to go to the gym. You can get as weak and decrepit as you want. (laughs) You don't have to do that. It might be wise to do that, if you care about your physical health, but you don't have to. It's not a scriptural thing. Do you see that God did not put upon us that we have to go to the gym? It might have been good for us, but He didn't want to burden us with too much. We don't have a word that says, do this, turn this way, do this. 
oh Lord, what do you want me to do today? Am I supposed to do it? That's fine to pray, but if you think God is going to say, turn left, turn right, go get a haircut, do this, you're probably going to be wrong. Because our own minds can speak to us. He does not guide us in this way. And God gives us this freedom to enjoy this. I want to see what my children will become in life. I don't want to just dictate and say, you will do this. Some fathers do that. And their kids are miserable. I don't want to do that. I enjoy seeing what God's going to do through their lives. Now, there are certain things that I, that I hope they don't do because they're, they're, they're going to get them into trouble, but, but there's lots of plenty good things that they could do. You know, they see my life and they don't want to be a scientist. They think, I don't want to work 70 hours a week and be in, my, be in the office all day Saturdays and reading journals late on to, into the night. I say, I love it. It's fun. What else to do on a Saturday? <laughs> and... and uh, um, so then they think, that, you know, my daughter says she's going to become a lawyer. You see how young lawyers work? I mean, just wait. But God doesn't box us in. And, and there's, there's this appearance that, that all this is really, really spiritual. But it's not. Look in, in Colossians, because, because the, the Bible actually describes this as being the one who's weaker. Colossians chapter 2 you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians, chap- Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Colossians 2, 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? You see, these are commandments and teachings of men. These things are going to pass away. Why are you subjecting yourself to this, he says. He says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You see, they have this appearance of being really spiritual. Oh, wow, he's really spiritual. I mean, one guy came up to me once, and, and uh, uh, he thought that this really was spiritual. I'll just give you an example of what he said. He said, you know, I, I only have sex with my wife to have children. Whoa. You know, this is, uh, this is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and so... So, so I, you know, you had three children, so I guess, you know, three times. That's it. But there's nothing in the Bible about this. In fact, the Bible says, don't keep yourself from one another. You know, enjoy one another. But he was putting himself up as if he was so spiritual. Just, and this is self-made religion. There's nothing in the scriptures about it. It's self-made religion. And, and you know, one time... I don't know, 10 years ago, I gave the same talk in, 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 in the same class, and a guy was visiting, and he wrote me an email. He said, I agree with you totally that, that all of this is nonsense, but there is this one thing, and that's eating processed meat should never be allowed in the church. You know? And so it's like, you didn't get it, man. I mean, if you don't want processed meat, fine, but you can't put this on the whole church. You see what I mean? That's when it becomes legalism. That's why when we read in Romans, some people put one day higher above another. You know, so, so some groups will say, Saturday is the day you've got to worship. There was never a commandment to worship on Saturdays for, for congregating in worship. There never was. It was a day of rest. 
So we congregate on Sundays. Sundays is a perfectly good day to do it because most businesses are closed on Sundays, so you can do it. But if you, if you go to church on Saturday night and that's the time you congregate, that's fine. There's no prescribed day. Of the Ten Commandments, nine of the Ten Commandments are embodied in New Testament commandments. Those we have to abide by. There are commandments. There's about 150 of them in the epistles of the New Testament. Those we abide by. The one that's not of the Ten Commandments is the Sabbath day that we shall not work on the Sabbath day. That's not in the New Testament. Now, if you want to not work on the Sabbath day, don't stand there in pride and say, I never work on Sunday. I don't work on the Sabbath day. You're wrong. You're working on the Sabbath day if you work on Saturday. From Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown is the Sabbath day. You're working on the Sabbath day if you work during that period. Now, to take a day of rest is a very wise thing to do. God gave us an example, but he, doesn't, he no longer commands us to do this. There are many wise things to do. Smoking is not a sin. It is just stupid. It is not a sin. You know, and, and it's, it's not something that we can say, therefore God judges you. I mean, maybe you get judged with a shorter life. But, but, um, but it's not a sin. Do you see what I mean? I mean, there are things that people will put upon you. Even John the Baptist's disciples, they were like, your disciples aren't fasting. Do you know what we're going through? you know how hungry we are? And your disciples aren't doing this. And Jesus said, lighten up. There's no such commandment here. You don't have to do this. Now, there are many things that you may want to put upon yourself. Or if you're a, a, a parent of small children, you may want to put upon them. But, then you, but that's just for you. You can't put that upon another. That's why the Bible says, do not judge your brother. Who are you to judge your brother? Before his own master he will stand or fall, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It is the weaker one, the one in Romans who's described as the weaker one, was the one who could eat vegetables only. You think, oh, what a holy man. He only eats vegetables. He's so holy. No, the Bible says he's weaker. He's weaker. Because he does not realize that that food has no effect on his life. On his life. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, because what goes into his mouth is expelled. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him, Jesus said. That's what defiles him, he says, because what comes out of his mouth has come from his heart. That's what ends up defiling him. And we will have things in our lives that for us, we need to put parameters in our lives that are discipline. Discipline parameters, but God has refrained from dictating that upon us. And to use this verse, that it has the appearance of evil, we really have to scrutinize this. In whose appearance is it evil? So in other words, if I am having an Orthodox Jew to my home, I will not serve pork chops. You know, even though he might not eat it, I don't want to sit there and eat it in front of him. I don't want to offend this man. You see what I mean? So their Bible calls us not to offend another. But if he's not there, no problem. I can eat all the pork chops I want to. So we are free to do this. You will meet Christians who will say, you should only eat what was prescribed in the Old Testament. And they'll try to bring you back under the Old Testament rules of eating. 
don't eat pork. You, you know, any animal you eat has to chew the cud and have the split hoof, like a cow, like a, like a bull, like a um, deer. You know, they chew the cud and they split the hoof. But, you know, never go out and hunt squirrels or never go out and, 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 and uh, eat lizards or, or any of this. Which, which is not, there's no scripture, we are not under that anymore. Jesus freed us from that. We are not under that. And they will try to pull you back under this. Which has the appearance of being spiritual. That's what it says. It says here, it has the appearance of being spiritual. These are matters, to be sure, in Colossians uh, uh, 2.23, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment. You know, self-abasement. You will go into some parts of the world and in, within, within uh, denominations of Christianity, they will take chains and they will beat their backs and have blood running out. Has anybody ever seen this or heard about this? As if, wow, this is a really holy man. He's beating all the sin out of him. The Bible right here says that does nothing. It is of no value against fleshly indulgence. You can beat yourself all you want. It will do nothing to give you victory over the thought of the mind. Nothing. Nothing. It does nothing. The only thing that gets hold of our mind is when we become in conformity to the Scriptures and the Word of God and we say, God, do a new work in my life. Why didn't God give us all these rules and regulations? Because that's not, his, that's not what He wanted to do. We have about 150 commandments of ways we ought, ought to respond. When we do that, we are blessed. But He gives us freedom in what we want to eat. He gives us freedom with alcohol. He gives us freedom in these sort of things. You know, people will use this verse. There was a guy sitting there and, and, and he was trying to convince me that alcohol was bad. And he went to Romans chapter 12. It says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you should not defile this body, he said. As he was telling me this, he was eating this big slice of cake. I said, oh, so is that piece of cake that you're eating the best thing for your Holy Spirit body? And he just smiled at me and he said nothing else to me. You see what I mean? So if you take that verse and extrapolate it into everything, I mean, then you shouldn't be eating, eating cake because it's probably not the best thing for your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see what I mean? So we, we have to be careful about extrapolating these verses beyond where it was supposed to be. I say this because I want you to be free. If you look at the life of Jesus, look at this man. You don't get this feeling that this man was neurotic. Like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. He was very free. He was at peace. That's why he could go to Levy's party. You know, with a bunch of tax collectors and prostitutes and go there and just be there with them. He had his disciples around him. He could do this. He was free. He could, he could understand. And that's why the Scripture says, if eating meat offends your brother, then don't eat meat. Then don't do this in front of him. But it doesn't restrict you from eating it. These things that you think people are really holy because they do this, it does nothing, nothing against fleshly indulgence. Whether you beat your body, whether you do all sorts of things, it does nothing against fleshly indulgence. Fleshly indulgence is overcome by submission to Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, work in my life. Get a hold of my heart. You get your heart and your mind and your eyes into the Word of God. And you'll begin to have power over fleshly indulgence. It's not by beating your back 
or it's not by, by self-made religion. It is not that. He has called us to freedom. And that's why Jesus said, just enjoy the bridegroom. You can't try to put in this package that I'm coming with and try to pack this into your old stuff. Not going to happen. It's not going to work. I've got something free, freeing for you. Jesus has freed us. This is where he's brought us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. You are so good. Father, thank you. Your word is so good. Father, I pray that you would take hold of these young lives and let them not be distracted by self-made religion and commandments of men. But Father, I pray that they'd come under submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and they'd walk according to the freeness of your Spirit. Father, that if there be disciplines that they want to take on in life, that it would be for them and that they would not pass this on to others and inflict it upon others. Father, I pray for your grace to be upon them, the grace of God, to see them, to have them see Jesus for who he is, that he loves them and he has called them to something much greater. Father, thank you for the freeness that we have in your word. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.